Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for having me here again this week. Like he said, I am I'm Pastor Justin Pearson, the planter and pastor of Restore Church. We meet in the International District of Albuquerque, uh, just about at Central and Louisiana, just north of that intersection. Uh, it's so great to be here again with you. If you uh, don't remember me, this is uh, now my third time here. Uh, the first time I got to share in a, a breakout group when uh, the Bordens were here at Mission Engagement Sunday, and um, I got to share about church planting um, on your Mission Engagement Sunday. And then I came back another time and got to preach on magnifying the Lord, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And so I'm blessed every time that I get to be here with you all. I'm, I'm blessed to get to, to sing praises with you, get to share God's word, hear God's word preached. And yeah, uh, we can continue to pray uh, for your pastors and their families as uh, some are still here and some are over there uh, with them and just what God will do through their time there and continue to do as, as you seek gospel partnership ac- across the globe um, and what God can do through y'all for them over there. And so I'm so glad to be here with you. Now, when Pastor Steve asked me to... Stephen, <laughs> excuse me, uh, don't tell him I said that. No, <laughs> um, when Pastor Stephen asked me to preach, um, he asked me to, to share something from, from something that drove my, my philosophy of ministry. Now, I'm not as smart as Stephen, so I don't know what a philosophy of ministry is. Um, but he, all, he said, or something that, uh, that drove the vision of my church. And so as I prayed and thought, what I landed on was one of the core values at at Restore Church, uh, one that really drives all the other core values of our church. And what I'm going to talk about today is, is worship. Now, I am blessed every time by the, the, the band here, the, the, the music team that leads. Uh, whoever it is, I, I just love joining and singing with you all. But what comes to your mind when I say worship? I kind of let it, right? Uh, I kind of pointed you in one direction, Musical worship, right? That's usually what comes to my mind. The first thing that I, I say when I say worship is the singing, us gathered together singing God's praises. Or another thing might be the, the worship gathering. We're here on Sunday for the, the worship gathering. But what I'm going to talk about today, it's not just songs. It's not just meet the church meeting together, though those are very important things. What I'm going to talk about today is is an all-of-life worship, really a, a lifestyle of worship. And that's what I entitled my message today is a lifestyle of worship. So before I jump into that, we, uh, we're just going to see what, what is worship. Maybe from a, a world standpoint first, from the Merriam-Webster dictionary, we'll go straight from the dictionary, that in religious terms, the verb is to honor or show reverence for as, it gives the example, as a divine being or supernatural power. So to honor or show reverence for. But there's a few secondary definitions um, that give give other examples. And I think it's telling about who we are as a a culture, who we are as a people. And so the the secondary definition here, in the noun form, uh, worship is extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion 
to an object of worship. And look at the example it gives us. The worship of the dollar. <laughs> the worship of the dollar. Uh, the verb form is similar. It is to regard with great or ex- extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. Listen to this example. A celebrity is worshipped by her fans. Celebrity is worshipped by her fans. So these secondary definitions really point out what um, pastor, author, ministry leader Tim Keller says in his book, Sinner Church. Everybody worships. The only choices we get is what to worship. The only choice we get is what to worship. Everybody worships. You may not think that you do. You may not be religious. You may not come to a worship service. You all do. You're here. Um, But everybody worships. It might be different for some people, but everybody worships. We saw in in the examples there the, the worship of the dollar. Maybe your worship is your work or financial security. Maybe it is devotion to some sort of celebrity. We see it on social media, the influence that celebrities, that influencers have on us in this day. Just look at how many people flocked again and again and again to Taylor Swift concerts this year. And if if you're up on that, how our language has changed because of the, the title. She's doing her eras tour, right? And everyone now, she's talked about different eras of her music. Now everyone that I hear around me, I'm in my blank era. One of my wife's friends posted a picture of her son doing karate kicks and said, oh, he's in his ninja era. Celebrities influence the way that we talk, the way that we think, the way that we act. It could be something else. It could be an identity. This is who I am. And I hold that dear. I show that the most honor, reverence. Maybe a job. Maybe the fact that you're a mom. Your children might be your idol. You might be a boss, and that's, you love that. It might be comfort, control, security, health. Any one of these things. For most of us, it could be many of these things all at once things that we hold on to in our hearts as most dear, things we sacrifice for, things we love, things that we will put everything aside for. Things fall by the wayside because this is happening. Think of how many of you are about to run out of here after I'm done because your favorite football team is, has the early game. <laughs> now here is, everybody worships. Everybody worships. And it may not be, as the Bible shows us, uh, a, a wooden statue or a, or a golden idol, but everybody has something or someone they worship. Now, our hope is that we are in church, that that would be the one true living God. Because we see as God reveals his character to us in his word. From his law, he's 
rescued his people that he's called, he's chosen out of slavery in Egypt, and he's giving them his law, the way that they can relate to him. We may not be under the law now, but the law shows us how that we relate to God. And so we see in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, God says this, I am the Lord your God who saved you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God says, I am the Lord your God. He is the only true God. I've been reading through the prophets in my, in my Bible reading plan that I do in the mornings. And, and again and again and again, God is calling his people to task because they've forgotten him and put their trust in some other God that is no God. He mocks them. You, you cut this tree down and half of it you use for fire and the other half you, you form into an idol and you worship it. The other half of that tree is burning. What's the difference? There is no difference. It's all dead wood. So this is a problem for us if there is anything in our lives that we put in the place where only God should be. We all do it. We're all guilty of it. There's two problems. First of all, not worshiping God is sin. God is the one true God. He tells us, I am the Lord your God. There is no other. He is God and he is worthy of all of our worship, all of our lives. And so it's based on who he is, But then based on what he's done, we saw in Exodus, I rescued you from the land of Egypt. I rescued you from the house of slavery. If you're a follower of Jesus, you may not have literally been rescued from slavery in Egypt, but you have been rescued from slavery to sin. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. We are enslaved to sin until God sets us free through faith in Jesus. So because of who God is and what he's done for us, then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And if we do, if there's something that we put above God, it's called idolatry. It's sin. And we face God's judgment for that sin. Secondly, though, idols, anything that we put above God, can't do what only God can and has promised to do. Whatever you are putting your faith in for that idea of the good life, your job, your spouse, your kids, your health, your beauty, it's going to fade. It's going to fail you. But God won't. God is a faithful God who fulfills his promises. He doesn't get tired. He will not get old. He will not get sick. And he's promised to save us, give us an abundant life through faith in Jesus. And he's promised to come back one day to restore all things that sin has broken. I, whatever we put our faith in cannot do that. Whatever we are putting our hope in will fail us, will fade, and it cannot stand. It cannot live up to what only God can live up to. 
So that's the problem of idolatry. That's the problem of putting our worship and our hope in something that is not the one true God. It's sin. It's an offense to to the only God that deserves our worship. And these idols will fail us. They will leave us broken and scarred and shattered. Or if it's another person, it will leave them broken, scarred, and shattered because you've put on them the weight of God that they can't carry. We all worship something. And we've looked at these definitions of worship from a, from a secular point of view. We've looked at the fact that we all do worship, but let's look at what Christian worship is. Pastor, author, uh, John Piper puts it this way. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly, then to respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, and being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. So it first comes from inside as we realize who God is, that he's worthy of our worship. And then it flows out in praise on our lips and love and service to others. Christian worship is not just songs. It's not just gathering here once a week, twice a week, once a month, twice a month. I don't know what it is for you. Christian worship is a lifestyle of worship. An all-of-life worship. I'm going to look at two other texts uh, in the Bible uh, to show us what that looks like. First is going to be Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. You can turn in your Bible there, and then later we'll look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. But I want to start... In Romans 12, 1 and 2, to look at what this all of life, this lifestyle of worship looks like. Turn there with me. In the Pew Bibles, it's on page 891. Romans 12. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see here, Paul is making an appeal to these believers that he's, he's written to. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. We always want to see when we're reading the Bible, when it says therefore, he's referring to something. He's referring to what he's spoken about beforehand. 
And Paul, in chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans, has, has just laid out the best case for salvation by grace through faith in Jesus for all who would believe. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. It shows us our guilt before God. Jew and Gentile, there's no distinction. Everybody, that's everybody, Jew and Gentile. We are all guilty before God, but that through faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us, paying for our sins, as he rose again, defeating sin and death, as he's interceding for us at the right hand of the Father, and as, he is, as we wait for him to come back for us, that all who believe will be saved. Paul expertly, beautifully unpacks that in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And so then because of that, it's because of what God has done for us through Jesus by faith that he makes this appeal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. It's through God's mercy that we do this. It's through God's love for us that's beautifully displayed through Jesus to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everybody in those days would have known what a, what a sacrifice would have looked like, right? They would have been coming out of the, the Jewish sacrificial system or they would have seen in, in their own cities as he's writing to these, these uh, pagan lands, these Gentile lands, what, what sacrifices people would have made to their other gods. They would have known what a sacrifice entailed. It's not pretty, right? Death of an animal, spilling its blood, burning it up. Paul, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You don't give a sacrifice and get it back. It's gone. It's sacrificed. The point here is that as God has brought us from death to life through faith in Jesus, as he's given us new life now to walk in through faith in Jesus, that we give all of that life back to God as an act of worship. That we don't any longer have claim on our lives, but God does. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we believe, everything we say should come as an expression of worship to God as we live this out as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable. We know from the Old Testament the, the animal sacrifices had to be perfect, spotless, blameless. And that's what we get through Jesus. We are made holy and acceptable, not by anything that we did. It's by the mercies of God through faith in Jesus. We are washed clean as the Holy Spirit renews us from the inside out through faith. Now we can present our bodies as this holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. And that means all of our lives. Like with the animal sacrifice, you don't sacrifice it and get it back. You sacrifice it and it's, it's gone. It's given to God. But we're a living sacrifice. So we live our lives in this idea of worship to God. We live 
all of our lives in this worship to God. It's not segmented out. There's no division. There's no room for, for here I'm this way, here I'm another way. We are a living sacrifice, all of us given to God. We give God a blank check of our lives. We give God the credit card of our lives with zero limit. That's what we give God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is our act of worship. What God has given us, this new life, we give back to God as worship to him. We give our very lives back to God for his worship. And then we live it out in the world. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we live it out. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We've been set apart by God, for God. But it's not for us. It doesn't terminate on me. It doesn't terminate on this church. It's for God in the world. We are a city on a hill. We are a light in the darkness. And so as God separates us, sets us apart, we don't conform ourselves to this world, but we're transformed in the midst of this world, and we shine a bright light in the darkness. The idols of this world are tearing people apart, leaving them broken, scarred, hurting, and alone. But we have the one true God who's made us new, whole, restored us, given us life. And as we live as a living sacrifice in this dark world, not being conformed to the broken patterns of this world, but being transformed as the Spirit works in us through the Word of God, through the worship of God, through the love of God, we will be a light in the darkness. God is worthy of our lives. He's worthy of every bit of us. He's worthy of our desires. He's worthy of our wills. He's worthy of what we believe. He's worthy to be worshipped with all of who we are. He's worthy because he loved us. And then we get to love him and others because he's done it first. He took the first step. And we see in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, page 949 in your pew Bibles if you have one, we see another picture of how this all of life worship is lived out. It says, the author of Hebrews says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. He's using that, that, that temple, that sacrificial language again, and we see two sacrifices sacrifice of praise and a sacrifice of our, our lives and our things and our actions. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So he, he starts out in verse 15, 
through him. That's through Jesus. That's the idea of by the mercies of God that we cannot do this without God having first brought us from death to life through Jesus saving us, the Spirit making us alive and living in and through us. We can't do it without God. We can't present our bodies as a living sacrifice without the help of God. And we can't do this either. So through Jesus, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Now, no doubt that includes our musical worship. We see it in Ephesians. We see it in Colossians. Paul tells the church to sing together, to sing together to praise God, to sing together to disciple each other. We're building each other up as we sing the truths of God. We sing beautiful truths together. And so it no doubt includes musical worship, but it's more than that. It's more than just musical worship. Look at what, how Paul finishes verse 15, or the author of Hebrews finishes th- verse 15. We don't know who that is. Um, it says, this sacrifice of praise to God continu- that we are to continually offer up, not just once a week on Sundays, continually, is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We talk about what we care about. We talk about what we love. We talk about what is most important to us. So my question then is, why is it so hard for us, even as the church community, to talk about the wonderful works of God, the wonderful attributes of God together? Why do I know more about your favorite sports team your favorite, that, that new stock tip, your children's potty habits than I do about your, your, your love for God and what he's done for you. Now, um, Dr. Sam Chan points out that, that we, especially in, in the West, now he's in Australia, but they're very Western culture, points out that we have bought into this idea that the sacred and the secular should be uh, separated. The idea is that, that I, I, I love Jesus on Sundays here at, at worship and, and maybe in my, my home, but during the week at, at school, at work, um, I, I, keep, I keep those two separate. That, that I'm, I'm, I'm work Justin at work and I'm church Justin at church, and, and, and so that, that nobody else is uncomfortable, that, that never the two shall meet. We've bought into this lie as, as, in the culture that, that we, we should keep these things separate. But in all of life, worship doesn't give us a category for that. The worship that God demands and deserves is in all of life worship where, where those two are not allowed to be separate where the love of God, this God who who we believe saved us from eternal judgment through his son coming to die on a cross for us, that we can't help but speak about him here in church and out there in the world with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our friends, with our family members, that it should just flow out of us like it's our native language. Talk about what we love. And that's what he's talking about. Yes, it's singing. I love singing. I love musical worship. But it's more than that. The, the love and worship of God 
Acknowledging God with our lips should not just be in here. It should be everywhere. All that we are. It should flow out of us everywhere that we are. Everywhere that we are, we should have lips that offer, that acknowledge his name. What does Jesus say? If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father who is in heaven. It's a sacrifice of praise. And it may be a sacrifice to break through that cultural divide, right? That sacred-secular divide. Because even as I talked about it, as I talked about talking about Jesus with your coworkers, you felt the cringe a little bit, right? Talk about it, talking about Jesus with your classmates. But, but that's church stuff. But it's a sacrifice of praise. We're to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. It's a glorying, showing what we love the most, who we worship the most. This lifestyle of worship should involve every part of us. Everything we think, everything we desire, everything we believe, everything we say, and everything we do. Because we see again in, in verse 16, the author of Hebrews says, after the sacrifice of praise, that is fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, verse 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do good and share what you have, and these sacrifices are pleasing to God. We see in the book of James that faith without works is dead. That good works could never save us. We could never be good enough on our own. We could never do enough good stuff on our own. So that's not what I'm saying. Good works could never save us. Only through faith in Jesus can we be saved. It's the only way. But if you are saved, James says, you should be doing good works. Amen. It's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, right? We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God made us alive together with Christ. And then, as he's remade us, he's given us good works to walk in, in this new life that he's given us. Amen. It's who we are. It's what we do. We've been brought from death to life. We've been given new life. We lay it down to God and then we walk in these good works. Do good and share with others. It's hard to share with others if we're holding onto our possessions with a death grip, isn't it? If we believe that that is our salvation, that getting that next job, getting that next thing, looking good in front of the neighbors because we have that thing, if that's going to give us our ideal of functional salvation, then it's hard to, to give it up. It's hard to let it go. It's hard to walk in good works when our schedule is our idol, right? When we are so busy with this and that and the other activity, my kid's going to go play pro baseball, so i got to get traveling team and, and fall ball and spring ball and, and all the ball. 
and then everything, and a private coach, and batting cages, and everything. I have no time for anything else. Hard to, to walk in good works when our, our time, our schedule. It's hard to love the hurting and the marginalized and the broken when our comfort is our idol. It's hard to step in and love people who need to be loved when, when we're worried about ourselves above what God has called us to. I don't know what the good works are that God has called you to walk in. But it's hard to do that when we are loving something or someone else. But Paul in Romans, the author of Hebrews here, is showing us this idea of an all of life worship. It's every bit of us. It sh- the worship of God should inform everything we do. Now that doesn't mean we all quit our jobs, move to, move to a, somewhere where we're all together, a commune together. Um, it doesn't mean we all go to seminary and we all have to be pastors and we all have to do something that's work in the church because everything that we do really should be lived out in the world around us. Everything that we do in this worship of God should be lived out with the watching world around us. And it's a lot easier to do that for you who's working a job than for me who's um, in my office. But Ephesians chapter 4 tells me that my job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You're all in ministry wherever God has sent you, wherever God has put you. We don't get the opportunity to keep the sacred and the secular separate. We see this picture beautifully lived out in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. First of all, in Acts chapter 2, these people, they're living this lifestyle of worship that is informed fully by their love of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. They were together as the church. But guess what? They also daily, that's daily, met in the temple and in homes with grateful, thankful hearts to God as they broke bread, as they shared meals together. Their lives were oriented around the worship of God. And then, we see that they didn't hold on to their things as if, as if that was going to save them, as if that was going to justify them. Because when they saw a need in their community and the community around them, they sold it. They didn't hold on to those things as if that was what they needed. They let it go so that they could meet a need in the community. They were living this all-of-life worship. There was no sacred-secular divide. It was all of them all together, often caring for their community, devoted to God, being transformed by the renewal of their minds, and they lived it out in front of people. Because we see at the end of Acts 2 that they were having favor with all the people. Not just the church community. They had favor with all the people, in Acts 4, again, as they sold their possessions and met the needs of the people, what do we see happen? Day by day, the Lord was adding to their number people who were being saved. Day by day, as this church community 
gathered together regularly around this lifestyle of worship. They cared for each other. They loved God above all else. And they did it in front of a watching world. And people saw it, and it was attractive. It was a beautiful community. And they wanted it. So they came, and then they heard them acknowledge God with their lips. They heard this good news that, yes, you are dead in your sins, but through faith in Jesus, you can be made alive again. You can live this new life together with us in this new family, this new community, the kingdom of God. And people were being saved daily. Isn't that amazing? I wish that wasn't so amazing to us. I wish we were seeing that in our churches daily as we lived this life out together, this lifestyle of worship that we could be saying, yes, the Lord was adding to our number daily. And he is in the global church, right? God is saving people all around the world all the time. But man, what would happen in, the, in Albuquerque if our churches lived this out? lifestyle of worship being saved by jesus through the power of the holy spirit should be attractive to the watching world as we live this joyful thankful loving caring beautiful life that acknowledges the one true god who saved us who's worthy of our worship you've probably already been thinking about it but is there something in your heart? Is there something in your life that you are worshiping more than God today? Is there things that you practically love more than God? Have you kept the sacred and the secular separate? Have you lived one life here in church and another life at work with your neighbors, with your friends, Lay those things down on the altar now. Lay your life down on the altar now. Live this life as a living sacrifice. Get rid of anything in the way. Lay aside every sin and hindrance, as the author of Hebrews says. Lay it down. Give God that blank check of your life. Because the Bible promises, Jesus promises that the life that he has for us now in this life as we live it in a, in a lifestyle of worship to God, it's abundant. It's not tame, it's not boring. Loving and serving others. Caring for each other. Being a community together as the church in the world. It's not boring, it's abundant as we walk in the good works that God has given us as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit who is living in each and every one of us who is a believer. Whatever you give up, what you gain in return is far better and will result in eternal life through faith in Jesus. God is worthy. Give him all of your time, your talent, your treasure, your identity, your desires, your will, whatever it is that you're holding on to, let it go. Give it to God and see what he'll give you back in return. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what I preached on last time here. Put him to the test. Live your lives as a living sacrifice, as a response to worship to God. 
what if we truly lived this way? What a beautiful community that would be as we lived all of our lives in worship to the one true God who brings hope, who brings restoration, who brings salvation, eternal life and a restored eternity where all the brokenness of sin is gone. What if we lived like that was who we truly worshiped day in and day out together? We can't keep the sacred and the, sec- the secular separate though because we might have the best community in here, in this room. We might love each other great. We might, we might sing beautiful songs. We might meet needs and, and acknowledge God. But there's a world lost, dead in darkness out there that needs to see the light and the hope that is the community of the church who's living this lifestyle of worship to God. God has called us as his people, as his church, for his worship and for the good of the world around us. We, as the church, are the city that's set on a hill. We, as the church, are the light in the darkness. Hide it under a a basket? No. But what if we're hiding it in the building? What if we're hiding our light in the building of the church because we won't go out together and live this life together? can't keep the sacred and the secular separate. We need, the world needs to see the community of the church living a lifestyle of love for God and love for others together. How would our family and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors be transformed if we lived this lifestyle of worship together as a church where God has put us? Maybe we would have favor with all the people as we saw in Acts 2. Maybe the Lord would be saving people day by day. Let's pray for that. Pray with me now.